and welcome to Primary Sources, a featured production of Radio Cows. Here on Primary Sources, we focus on people who are making a difference in Little Rock and Arkansas. Some you might have heard of and some you haven't heard of, but probably want to know about. Check out cows.org slash podcasts for a free podcast of Primary Sources interviews. Welcome, everyone, to another edition of Primary Sources, a service of the Central Arkansas Library System. I'm Matt DeCampbell. This podcast chronicles the lives of prominent Central Arkansans, and we have one such one with us today, Miss Susan Altrui. Hi, Susan. Hi. And uh, you are now the director of the Little Rock Zoo. Yes, that's correct. And I'm just going to go out on a limb and guess that when you were young and growing up, you did not think, when I grow up, I want to run a zoo. You know, I never thought that I would ever be a zoo director, that's for sure. And and believe it or not, even when I was in high school, I I always thought I would be an attorney. I was involved in the debate team, which is really nerdy, I realize. Uh, But uh, never thought I would be involved in a zoo, but I love it. Uh, I, now, I have always had a passion for animals. When I was a little girl, I had all these stuffed animals, and uh, I would take them, and I would set them on my bed every morning, and uh, they would be like my own little zoo, if you will. So so maybe there was kind of a hint when I was a little girl that maybe one day I would be a zoo director because I was directing my stuffed animals. So <laughs> yeah. Well, let's, let's start in the early years. Um, just talk a little bit about, you know, growing up, where exactly you spent your time, and, and what... What you got, I mean, we have a taste already of the things you got interested in, but kind of what led you down those paths. Sure, sure. So I was born and raised in central Arkansas. I grew up in Sherwood. Um, but uh, I went to uh, school here in, in Little Rock. So I went to Horace Mann. I'm a, a proud graduate of uh, the Little Rock School District, a firm believer in public schools and especially the Little Rock School District here, uh, junior high at Horace Mann Magnet, and uh, then went on to Parkview for high school. Uh, and when I was in junior high, uh, there was a teacher there, Miss Nichols, that uh, kind of saw in me uh, that uh, I was good at doing communication and uh, was involved in speech and drama. And she said, you know, you really should get involved in, um, in debate. And that was really interesting to me. And I liked to be in front of people. I liked to talk and I liked to be involved in being on stage. And so I got involved in the debate team when I was in high school. And uh, it's funny, too. I, I also kid because I come from an Italian-American family, mm-hmm. and uh, we like to talk a lot, and we <laughs> use our hands a lot when we talk, and uh, we're very expressionate, so I was able to kind of hone those skills a lot. And uh, that's helped me throughout my whole life to be able to communicate and to be able to think critically. And so even today, uh, even as a zoo director, uh, I find myself being able to use those skills. Uh, so so I, you know, I always thought that I would be involved in politics or be a lawyer or something. I, I went on to, uh, to do debate when I was in college at Arkansas State University. I went to Arkansas State University for their communications department. Uh, they've got a wonderful college of communications there, study communications there. Uh, and then went on to uh, to Colorado State University, where they also have a great, 
graduate program in communications, and then I taught debate there. Again, thinking I was going to go to law school after, until I actually started to talk to some attorneys, and every one of them said they were miserable. (laughs) So I thought, well, yeah, that'll shift you. uh, Maybe I shouldn't be an attorney. Um, So I went and got some jobs uh, working on some political campaigns. Uh, What brought me back to Arkansas from Colorado was I worked on General Wesley Clark's presidential campaign. Uh, That brought me back here. Then I worked on some other campaigns, but realized that I didn't want to be in politics long term. Uh, I was a contract lobbyist for a little while and uh, then eventually said, you know, I really want to get involved in nonprofits. I want to do something that contributes to the community, but uh, is something where I can just really kind of sink my teeth into it, kind of like a tiger, ha, but something where I can make a difference. And I just saw a posting. Uh, It was actually at that time in the paper, because back in that day, that's where you looked for jobs, not online like you do now. Uh, But I saw a posting in in the paper for a job as a Uh, the director of uh, marketing and development for the Little Rock Zoo and uh, said, well, why not? You know, I'll apply there and I like animals and we'll see what happens. I didn't even think I would get an interview, quite frankly. Uh, but here we are a few years later. I, I often joke I traded one zoo for another. So, right. You oh, know. Very true. With, yeah. uh, with, with far more tame animals. <laughs> um, OK, no so uh, let, I, I want to go back through some of that before we get sure. to, uh, to the zoo days. What uh, did you have any favorite roles during your time in drama in junior high school? Oh, gosh. Let's see. Uh, So I was in the crucible when I was in high school and uh, I never had major roles. I was always in the chorus, but I was Sarah Good when I was in the crucible. So but it wasn't a major role, but uh, I was Sarah Good, which had like maybe two lines. (laughs) Right. Right. But also I was there in the in the chorus, you know. So, yeah. Also a good warm up for politics. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And. What uh, once you started getting into debate, um, what drew you to it? I mean, obviously that you had teachers and and mentors who thought you should do this. But then once you got into it, what kind of clicked for you? Oh, I think it was being able to argue both sides of an argument and understanding that there were two sides to an argument and having to critically think that through. Um, You know, before, I think it was like I always thought, oh, well, there's always this one side and there's always a right and there's a wrong. And and, but 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 when I got into it, it was realizing because you're forced to argue both sides when you when you do debate, Mm -hmm. you you have to do the affirmative and you have to do the negative. And regardless of whether regardless, that's absolutely right. And so uh, it became this kind of fun game where you had to explore both sides and it, it opened up my mind is what it did. And I got to learn a lot more about issues that I never probably would have even explored had I not done that. But uh, but it was fun. It, it gave us a, an opportunity as students to learn more about certain issues and certain ideas that I think we never would have learned about. Um, but uh, for me, it was fun because I, I just dug into it and, and I was good at it. That was the thing, too. I, I, I won a lot of awards at it. I was good at it. I applied myself to it and, and was able to succeed at it. That does help your nerd cred that you say that uh, you expanded your mind in high school <laughs> through debate. I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> Crazy. Wild child all the way through. Yeah. Okay. And so then when you finish uh, in Jonesboro and get your communications degree, then then why Colorado instead of staying in Arkansas? 
Well, you know, I, I looked around at uh, the different graduate programs that we had here and, and out of state. And at that time, Colorado had one of the best in the country. And uh, not only that, but uh, I was offered a teaching assistantship uh, to teach their debate team, which at that time they had one of the best debate teams in the country. They had just won a national title at that time. Um, I knew some of their debaters. Um, so um, it, it helps when you're, you're given money to go somewhere. So that was a, a big part of it. Um, but, you know, that reputation and being offered the uh, teaching assistantship was a big reason why I chose that place. And so when you came back to work with General Clark, was that during the draft Clark phase? It or was, was that, yeah. That, so it was before he yeah, was yeah. actually a, a, uh-huh. an announced yep. candidate. Yeah, I did that for a little while and then uh, jumped on to the campaign after that. Because that was, uh, I mean, that was an interesting campaign just because of right. the genesis and the oh, yeah. and the growth. And it was such a different time then, all that, oh, yeah. all that long ago. Yeah, you know, definitely, we were... definitely. So you, you keep your toes in politics for a while. And did you just sour on politics in general or was it more just the push to... I, I could keep doing this, but I want to do something a little more... It's a tough life. ...contributory. It's a, it's a tough life working on political campaigns. You know, you're, you're always looking for the next job. You know, a campaign has a, a finite uh, time frame. So you're looking at the fact that with the campaign, it starts and then it ends because when the election happens, well, the campaign is over, no matter if you win or lose. So you're, the people that work campaigns are always looking for another job, mm-hmm. uh, unless you work for a consulting firm. And even then you might be looking for another job. You know, yes. I mean, if you work for a consulting firm that's not winning a lot of elections, uh, that can be problematic. Uh, so it's a tough life. Now, there are people that love that life. They love the adrenaline rush of, uh, you know, getting involved in it and being able to be a part of something that's meaningful and you meet a whole bunch of new people all at once and you form these bonds that are really incredible and you all work for something and it's fast paced and you're working these really long hours and it's stressful and it's fun and it's incredible and then the election happens and it's exciting and then there's nothing. After that, uh, so it, it it it's very emotionally trying. It's very exhausting physically. Um, so you know, it's definitely something I think that when you're young is a really great thing. And I, when I say young, I mean like your early early twenties. Um, but after that, I think it's hard to maintain. And uh, there are people that do it though. There are people that do it their whole lives, and they just really like that kind of high and low and the high and the low. And uh, I think it's very similar to even working in theater. You know, theater productions are a lot like that. You know, you have a group of people that come together and for a short period of time, they work on something, they produce something, they do it, and then they go their separate ways. Uh, you where's know? the next gig? Then yeah. where's Just the next like gig? So consulting or politics. That's right. It's a very similar kind of adrenaline rush. And some people just feed off of that. But it, it was very physically and mentally exhausting for me. And I really wanted to be in something where I could have something stable, where I could contribute to the community still, where it was meaningful, but it was a little bit more long term, where the, I could plan I, and I could be a part of something that had vision uh, that was contributing to the community, but it was a little bit more growth in the long term. I think I can say this without being insulting to either group, but you went from the political arena and all the, the politicians and the lobbyists and those people to a world of zookeepers and vets and two very different types or breeds, if you will, of people. Yes. So yes. what was that like walking into the, you know, when you once you got the job at the zoo and started in, what was the 
or was there like culture shock for you? Oh, yeah. Well, you know, and, and to me, I, I get along with so many different types of people. It wasn't hard for me. I think it might have been a big adjustment for a lot of them um, because, you know, I, I'm, I'm a different animal, you know, um, and I, I, I'm not a, a traditional zoo person, if you will. So so what is a traditional um, zoo person? I mean, on, is it someone more who's introverted. come up through? Yeah. Oh, OK. Introverted. Much more, much more introverted. Uh, someone who is much more science and, and, and much more into zoology. Study the field. Uh, yeah. And that's not always the case. And I think that that's changing. Now you're seeing. Uh, especially people that are in the in the keeper ranks, uh, they're they're much more extroverted because there there's this more of an expectation for them to be involved in keeper chats and interact with the public. So that is changing a lot now. But uh, you know, 12 years ago, it, we had a lot of keepers that uh, were much more introverted, and uh, the expectation was not there for them to interact with the public. So, and even now, we still have some that don't really prefer humans. They like their animals, well, and yeah, that's okay. That's their job. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. Yeah. Um, so it's it's a very left brain, right brain kind of thing with communications people and uh, uh, the animal people and the and the veterinarians sometimes. But uh, but but now we're we're kind of seeing a change in that a lot uh, in this field. But um, but but even now, even amongst the director ranks, what I've noticed is that there's a lot of them that that have come up through the animal rank, um, and they don't they don't understand uh, communication. They don't understand um, those things as well. Uh, as they probably should, governmental or probably could. relations, government like, relations, yeah. et cetera, um, and, and that's not to say that it's a bad thing. It's it's just that that's just not their experience. Just with it, yeah. Um, and so for me, I had to learn all of those animal facts and and all of the science part of it on the job. So that's where that's where I had to learn. So it was just the opposite for me. Aside from the people, then, what were some of the first things you remember learning about? a zoo that you didn't realize or thought differently about before you were working for one? Oh, gosh, there, there was so much. Um, I, I think that the most interesting thing was uh, the, the conservation work that zoos do. Uh, that was, uh, if, I think initially I thought that zoos were mostly about entertainment, and I didn't realize the, the massive amount of conservation work that zoos are doing, especially zoos that are accredited by the Association of Zoos and Aquariums. Uh, we participate in what's called the Species Survival Plan, and there's a tremendous amount of coordination that goes on with those programs. And I had no idea. Uh, I think that that was probably the most enlightening thing I learned when I first started at the Little Rock Zoo was uh, the coordination that we have with other zoos. Um, that's, a, that's a really interesting thing. The Species Survival Plan is uh, run by other zoos and the Association of Zoos and Aquariums. And there are a group of experts for a particular endangered species that sit on an advisory board for that particular animal. And then there's a stud book for those animals. And uh, they have literally uh, the record of all of the medical and behavioral histories of those animals. And then they make recommendations for all of the animals in all of the AZA zoos, which there's about 230 right now across the country. So, for instance, the chimp SSP. So they're looking at the entire chimp population for the entire country 
and what's going on with that population and what animals should go to what zoos based on uh, what kind of room we have in the zoos, you know, who might be building a new exhibit, what animals could we place there. Also looking at what uh, animal could be bred with what animal to produce a strong offspring based on genetics, but also to looking at things like companionship. So what animals need to be placed with what animals for uh, the best welfare of those animals, um, creating family groups, um, and some instances creating bachelor groups. Uh, if we've got young males that need to be placed together because that's part of their natural history to have a bachelor group in some instances, it, it just depends on, um, on what the situation of those animals in, this, in the particular zoo might be. So there's a lot of coordination that goes on between the zoos uh, that gets behind the scenes that a lot of people don't understand that deals directly with the welfare and the conservation of that particular endangered animal. Uh, and that's uh, that's something that's really fascinating. And bachelor group, I assume, is a technical term because like a bro herd. Like, <laughs> you know, I mean, I kind of feel, especially for monkeys, yeah. I feel like. And, and speaking of the different animals, has your favorite types of animals change the more time you spend around them. Oh, sure. Well, I, it's hard for me to pick. I mean, People I don't want you to pick who your yeah, favorite one is now, yeah, but yeah. I mean, walking in the door where you're like, oh yeah, I totally love these, but yeah. yet then these were so, you know. Oh, sure. So so I always have liked big cats. That's always been a thing for me. I love cats, uh, small and large. Uh, so that was an immediate favorite. But uh, there's so many more animals that I like now. Penguins, um, huge deal for me. That was the first thing that I raised money for was uh, our African penguin exhibit. So they're a huge favorite of mine. Uh, but there's so many other animals that I like. We, we've got some of the best bears you've ever seen. I'm, of course, I'm biased, but <laughs> I love sloth bears. I, I think that they're just a beautiful species. Um, also, too, the great apes are just fascinating to me. We've got some really wonderful great apes at our zoo. And uh, when you watch the great apes, they're, they're all so different, too. Uh, the behaviors of the orangutans versus the gorillas versus the chimpanzees are all very different. And it's interesting to see their social structure. So that's also something that I've found to be really interesting and, and love to watch them and, and to see what they're up to. And, of course, right now, one of my favorite animals is really based on the personality of that animal. Uh, we have Trudy, and she's a gorilla. She's 60 years old. She is the oldest gorilla in human care in the world. Uh, so that's a, a real testament to the kind of care we give at the Little Rock Zoo. But uh, she's she's a character. You know, she kind of does her own thing, and uh, uh, she just... You know, kind of, kind of sometimes uh, frustrates the keepers, but they they're okay with it. You know, she goes outside and comes inside when she wants to, and they're okay with that. So they don't have much choice. It that's right. Like. Yeah. yeah, and that's the thing. You know, they that, that and that's with any animal. Uh, you you do what the animals want you, want you to do. So, <laughs> it, once you came in too, you really kind of expanded the different fronts of community outreach. I yes, mean, yeah. obviously, Boo at the Zoo already existed, mm -hmm. but then you were like, what's everything else that rhymes with zoo and we can make an event out of it? Yeah, right. Like, <laughs> between Brew and Woo. That's right. Woo at the Zoo, Brew at the Zoo, Zoo Year's Eve. What yeah. can we rhyme exactly? That's right. And so what, uh, you know, what was your approach to doing that and, and the ability and success of bringing maybe people to the zoo who aren't parents who aren't naturally going there, who aren't naturally animal lovers to to kind of see this piece of their of their town or their state. Sure. So so one thing that I think is important is that the zoo be 
available and be accessible for, for people of all ages. And so that was one of my goals when I started is I wanted people of all ages to be able to, uh, to enjoy the zoo. So we started some after hours events, which we really didn't have any. Uh, when I started. So we started Wild Wines uh, 10 years ago, which is now uh, turned into one of the largest food and wine festivals in the state with 50 restaurants and uh, hundreds of wines. Uh, That's uh, an event that we do in May. That's a fundraiser. Uh, and then, of course, Zoo Brew that you mentioned. It's a craft beer festival. And those have really caught on around uh, the state. You see craft beer festivals oh, yeah. just almost every weekend now uh, for other kinds of nonprofits here just in Little Rock. And uh, then, of course, Woo at the Zoo, which is about animal mating behaviors, which is another kind of uh, young professionals event that we do after hours. And the content of that is just hysterical because there's so many fun animal mating facts that we can talk about. Uh, and of course, when you throw in beer and wine, you know, it gets even better. So, And how much convincing yeah. did that take with some people, the idea of, okay, at night, we're going to bring in a lot of young adults. Yeah. We're going to give them beer and wine. And it then really we're took no convincing at all. The zoo. It okay, took were, no, okay. Everybody was like, yes, let's do it. Oh, you know? okay. well, <laughs> oh our keepers were all about it, let me yeah. tell you. Yeah. I think some people in, in some of the administrative ranks might have been like, oh, but really, I mean, my boss was all about it, and and I was I was very fortunate uh, that Mike Blakely, who was my boss, uh, the zoo director up until just recently, uh, he he just he really encouraged me all the way through and was very supportive of me. Saw from the very beginning that I had potential as a leader, and uh, there was very there were very few things he ever stopped me from doing. So <laughs> maybe that was good or bad, I don't know. <laughs> uh, but he always encouraged me, and uh, I, I'm very lucky to have had a boss like him because uh, he let me uh, develop as a leader. He encouraged me to be a leader, and that's why I'm in the position that I'm in today. What is one of your favorite mating facts that is safe for podcast, although really podcast you can oh, go anywhere, but given our audience. Oh, there's so many. There's but, some but good give ones. But give a little, I got some good uh, ones, give a little yeah. tease because yeah, yeah. this event will come up again. And oh, sure, you'll sure. you wanting to get people So there. rhinos are actually fascinating. So a rhino female... Before she will mate with the male, she will ram him at 30 miles an hour to test his strength. That sounds like some dates I've been on. <laughs> That's, uh, yeah, I wow. Yeah. So, <laughs> and so what kind of response is she looking for versus, you know, what's a positive response versus a negative response to the high-speed uh, ramming. Well, you know, if he falls over and he doesn't get back up, then she's not going to have anything to do with him. But, you know, if he can withstand it and uh, if he might come back at her, then she says, all right, well, you can take it. So it's yeah. so it's basically like a rhino tipping test. That's right. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Much harder than cows, I yeah. would think. Not yeah, that yeah. you should ever tip cows. No, not that you that's, should. That's a PSA. Yeah, tigers are pretty interesting cows. too. Yeah, they're very. They're, don't don't they're tip violent. a tiger. No, would, don't tip a no, tiger. Okay. No, but okay. they're 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 different. You know, they they um they can be very violent with one another, mm-hmm. uh, and they'll they'll come out and the female will come out just swinging. You know, with those claws, and she'll come after the male, and she's expecting the male to fight back, and then she'll eventually submit. But you know, she wants him to fight back a little bit to show that he's 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 got the strength in him, you know, but she'll come out just rawr, you know, it's, it's interesting. So a yeah. lot of testing of potential mates That's in the right. animal kingdom. That's right. Much like in the Much like human in the end human. of the animal kingdom. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> oh, yes. So as you go along through the years, were there times where you're like, okay, this has been great, but I'm, I think I might want to start going somewhere else? Or has it always just been 
you know, how much more involved can I get? Or were you right. were you clearly on a path that you found yourself on? Yeah, I, I've always been on a path with the zoo. I mean, there, there may have been, you know, one time or another, I thought, oh, maybe I could do something else, but very rarely, you know, and especially in the in the last probably five, six to seven years, I've been on a path to be in a leadership position with this zoo. Uh, there, there was no doubt in my mind I wanted to lead this zoo and wanted to stay in Little Rock and, and build something for Little Rock and, 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 and be at Little Rock. Little Rock is important to me. Uh, the zoo is important to me. And, and building the zoo is a, an important cultural attraction and something that teaches about conservation is important to me. And now that you're director... Um What's the well, let me before we get into the looking too far forward, how have you seen zoos change during your time there as far as their role in a city, in society? Because they they've always had a a very distinct appeal and very distinct criticisms. So how have you seen those shift or rise or diminish during your time? That's an excellent question because there's been major shift, especially just in the last decade with zoos. And, and really, you've seen zoos change just in, in, in the last years, uh, and, and it's for the better. And, and we learn more and more about animals every single day that influences the way we care for them uh, and, and a lot of things about them. And I, I think it's been wonderful, the change that we've seen this last decade, because we're shifting much more to conservation education. And also, too, zoos are shifting towards what we can do to save animals in the wild. Uh, the Association of Zoos and Aquariums, which is the accrediting organization that we're a member of, uh, is a leader in conservation education and also a leader in saving animals in the wild. So last year, AZA Zoos donated $186 million in funds directly to organizations that are working to save animals in the wild and are coordinating with those organizations that are saving animals in the wild. So you're seeing a huge shift now where before it was all about, well, we're going to take care of the animals that we have in our own zoos and not worry about those animals in the wild to the fact that we have this moral obligation now to save animals in the wild. And so zoos are now purposed for we have to do something about saving animals in the wild. And that's why we exist. So that kind of philosophical shift is huge, that we're not about entertainment, that we're not about just having these animals here, that we're about having these animals here because we're teaching the public about the fact that they need to help us save animals in the wild. And that's a, that's a big deal because resources are now going towards that end. Um, our expertise in animal care is partnering uh, to save animals in the wild. And we now have programs that are doing it. The California condor is a really great example of that. Uh, AZA zoos on the West Coast got together a couple of years ago and said, we don't want to lose this species. We're talking about a beautiful bird. This is a bird that has the largest wingspan uh, of any bird in North America and literally uh, had gotten down to just a couple of individuals. And uh, they, they got those individuals out of the wild, uh, took them into zoos and did uh, a breeding program and they were able to re-release them. And so now uh, there's a healthy population of them that are up and down the coast, um, the West Coast now, because of the work of zoos. So you, I should say AZA accredited zoos. So you're, you're seeing efforts like that now where you have the population of those birds in zoos and also in the wild and this cooperative 
uh, programmed now and the education effort for the public, where if you go to a zoo on the West Coast, like the Santa Barbara Zoo, for instance, which was instrumental in that process, you're going to see education about the California condor and what you can do to help and information about their breeding and release programs. So it, it's a it's a really spectacular thing, I think, and this, this shift towards conservation education is really important because... Uh, we're not going to have these animals here if, if we don't do something about it now. There's so many things that are affecting that overpopulation, climate change, uh, many things that are happening that are being caused by humans that we can educate the, the public on and we can do something to change right now. Uh, and we, we have a whole generation that's growing up right now that's becoming increasingly uh, aware of those things. And so this is the time for us to act. And when children come to the zoo, they're looking at an animal and we can be persuasive. Uh, there's just something about seeing an animal in person that's different than if you see it in a book or if you see it on a screen on your iPhone or iPad or whatever electronic device it may be these days, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and, and that's that's important. It's important to make that connection and, and to have that immersive experience. And you're seeing zoos create that immersive experience now with animals where uh, you get that sense and and you have that persuasive moment of inspiration where you're inspired to act. So that's a a huge shift that you're seeing in zoos right now is that inspiration to be inspired to act. Uh, I think, too, in zoos, you're seeing a big shift towards animal welfare and uh, improving the care of animals, and uh, especially with AZA zoos. This is an an interesting fact. Uh, There are 2,000 licenses that are given out by the USDA every year uh, for people that want to show animals to the public. You have to have a license. Uh, But of that 2,000, there are only 200 or so that are accredited by the Association of Zoos and Aquariums. So it really is the best of the best in terms of animal care and welfare. So AZA has improved their standards and and really made it to where uh, this is the best of the best. And and we're showing that the animals that are in our care uh, are are getting an unbelievable amount of uh, of care. And and so that's a huge thing, too, that I think that you're seeing. Uh, is being a, a big shift in the last couple of years, too, is is this this focus on animal welfare and care. Going back to what you said about children and the zoo, mm-hmm. of course, always been an important <laughs> part of, uh, of, of zoos is uh, we all went on field trips growing up to the zoo. But you also talked about how this generation coming up uh, is, is learning about zoos in a different way, a more immersive way. But you also talked about uh, the role of technology. And of course, you have a lot of young people these days who are a lot more, a lot more of their daily life is electronic than it was for, you know, older people like you and I growing up, right? So have you seen the reactions of children change? Or is it all still the, 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 you know, the, the same kind of wonderment reaction? Or has it changed if you have a generation that has even maybe less time with obviously obvious exceptions but less time outside less time in interactive environment you know directly personal interactive environments have you seen a change there absolutely so we're the, the generation right now the well, well first it's really where we saw the shift start to happen was with millennials uh, and, and then the generation after that which are the children now are we call it generation Z so millennials and then generation Z it started with millennials where millennials were becoming increasingly disconnected from nature 
and then the next generation is going to become even more disconnected from nature. And so that that really, I think, speaks to why zoos and aquariums are so important is because as we become further and further disconnected from nature and we become more engrossed in our iPads and our iPhones and our video games, uh, having the experience of nature at a zoo and the ability to go outside and to see something like a live animal, that's going to be really important in terms of building this sort of ethic about the importance of preserving wild places and building the ethic of conservation because it's very hard to build that ethic when you're looking at something on a screen. And there's even been a lot of research done recently that shows that, that when you see an animal up close and personal and you're in an actual wild or native place, if you will, or something that looks like a wild or native place, that you're much more inclined to want to do something or act on that conservation motive than if you're just reading about it. You know, I can read about conservation all day and read about the fact that I think that tigers should be saved, but if I actually see a tiger up close and personal, I'm much more likely to want to do something about it. So that really speaks to the importance of, of what zoos and aquariums are doing right now because we're building the next generation of conservationists and, and wildlife rehabbers and, and everything else we need uh, to be able to ensure that these animals and that wild places have a future. So what are your big ticket dreams for the zoo now that you're in charge. Oh, I'm I mean, so glad I, you I, asked. I spent so much, well, because <laughs> I mean, I was there all throughout the, you know, when, when the penguins were the big, I mean, that was, you know, that was the golden ticket, the brass yeah. ring that yeah. you know, it took years and we got there and it was great. So what's, what's next? So for us, conservation education, of course, is going to be key and is going to be matched with everything that we do. But for me, immersive experiences are key. And so everything that we do is going to have that immersive experience in it. When you come to the zoo, uh, not only should it be the happiest place in Arkansas, but you should feel like you've come to a new thing, a new place, and you should be immersed in something. So you should feel like you've been transported to another land. Uh, that immersive experience is, is going to be important. And so when we build and design uh, new infrastructure, we're going to be keeping that in mind. Uh, we're looking at right now, we've, we've just embarked on a feasibility study to determine what our next capital campaign is going to be. Um, but whether it's a new giraffe exhibit, a new Asia section of the zoo with sloth bears, uh, or both, we're not entirely certain yet, but uh, we're going to be partnering uh, with some type of a conservation organization in the wild so that when we do have a new exhibit, uh, we're going to be showcasing what people can do to help that animal in the wild. And then a portion of proceeds from what we do is going to go to help that organization in the wild. Uh, we've already started partnering with some other organizations in the wild with our penguin exhibit. Uh, there's an organization called SANCOB uh, that is working to save the African penguin in South Africa. Uh, we're going to be sending some keepers there as well as uh, the Cheetah Conservation Fund. We just had Dr. Lori Marker from the Cheetah Conservation Fund here this past year. Uh, we've got some keepers headed over there into Namibia to help the cheetahs there. So we're already working on some ways that we can help some animals in the wild. Um, but we're going to be involving the public in that effort, too. So what, what my goal is, is to get the public more involved in what we're doing to help animals in the wild and to build that into our exhibit design. 
Uh, you're seeing that across the country, really, with AZA zoos. They're they're partnering with conservation organizations to build messaging into their exhibit design and to make that part of uh, the experience. It's a, a really critical thing. Uh, and, you know, we were talking about millennials. Mm-hmm. Uh, the millennial generation, uh, they, they're they different from you and I. Our, us as, us uh, Gen Xers. Us little, you know, skeptical Gen Xers. Uh, uh, and, and, and it really is, it's for the good. Uh, they're, they're a generation that uh, they, they care about things, and, and you really do have to inspire them if they're going to act. And uh, they're not going to do something or go somewhere unless they feel that there's a particular type of ethic behind it or there's a cause or it's doing something for the better. And you're seeing millennials really drive Uh, a lot of this conservation ethic in zoos and aquariums, too, uh, because, uh, and I'll be honest, there's a growing skepticism of zoos and aquariums from a lot of millennials Mm -hmm. because you have seen um, a lot of criticism of zoos and aquariums from PETA and from other organizations. You know, Blackfish was a popular film recently, mm-hmm. and um, sometimes you see PETA and other organizations are very quick with social media and things to just put a negative message out there, and and zoos and aquariums have not been very good at countering those messages as quickly. We don't have the kind of bulleted talking points and haven't been as efficient in countering some of those messages the way that the animal rights groups have. When you started, so, it was... You had bumper stickers or right. flyers. That That's was, right. That was most of what, and I remember yeah. some of those yeah. very distinctly. But now it can, things can go around so quick. And of so course, quick. everyone's shooting video all the time That's in zoos. Right. Yep. Uh, is there any way that you prepare for, you know, that speed of, or do you just have to be ready for anything? You just uh, have to be ready for anything. And, and I think that relationships with media are, it's, it's very key. Uh, to make sure that uh, you have good relationships with media so that they understand you and know that you're telling the truth. Transparency with media is key. Uh, We've always had good relationships with the media here, so whenever PETA has said something about us, we've been very transparent, and so they know that we're telling the truth, and that's, that's always been great for us. Uh, because the you know Peter Peter likes to see things from their side of the story, and a lot of times their side is very manipulated, and uh, that's that's unfortunate. Uh, so that that can be an issue. It really can, and um, they play on emotion a lot. And, and a lot of what we found too is it revolves around this issue of is the animal happy in the zoo. And so that's really taking a human emotion and, and transcribing it to an animal. And so they might take a picture of an, of an animal sleeping in the sun, and it's like, oh, look, this animal is so bored. And it's like, well, you didn't see five minutes ago that this animal was playing with a toy and was you know, joyful. So it's, it's you know, these joyful, happy, it's like, how do you describe those things? You know, we're ascribing and, and really anthropomorph- anthropomorphizing, I love that word, uh, things onto animals in a way that's uh, it's very manipulative in a lot of senses. Oh, your response can be, they love naps, because who doesn't? Well, exactly. I like to nap in the sun. Come on. Well, and hopefully not with the animals. (laughs) No, we don't don't nap with the animals. Now, I have to ask, and I've heard some of these stories before, so it's kind of a front-loaded question, but there are odd things that happen in the zoo world. Oh, yes. And uh, any of those particularly that have stuck with you over the years? Oh, gosh. Uh, Let's see. Any odd things that have stuck? Um... Well, you know, there, there's there's just a litany of things that go on, and, and when you when you work in a zoo environment, 
we we have very open and frank discussions about um, animal breeding, and we have to observe it. You know, when you talk about conservation of a species, it's about whether or not the animal is getting it on. So, <laughs> right. that's how you can, yeah. That's how you so make you know, more. our staff have to observe whether or not animals have done it, and so uh, we have very frank discussions. And then sometimes we do what we can to try to set the mood to make sure that they do it. Uh, there are some animals based on their personality or whatever it is that they they just haven't done it yet. So we we, ta- we we have strategies and we have meetings about, well, how can we set the mood better to make sure that they like each other Please more? Please tell me there's music involved sometimes. <laughs> is there ever music involved? Anybody? No, usually uh-huh. not music involved. But but no, it's, it, it's really funny just depending on the animal, what strategies sure. we might employ to try to get one animal to like another animal so that they'll mate. You know, it's uh, when you're talking about breeding and you're talking about the survival of a species that's that's critical so we literally i'll sit around the table sometimes and go are we literally having this conversation <laughs> yeah and i'm anim- anamorphizing now mm-hmm. if i can even say the word the, just the idea of you know keep keep some berry white in your back pocket right. just in case you know <laughs> right, exactly it, it can't hurt right? it can't hurt yeah definitely can't hurt how have you seen the attitude specifically for our zoo and specific, uh, specifically with the zoo's relationship with the city and the community itself. I mean, you know, obviously on a national and global scale, a lot of it's changing. But have you, on a more micro level, how have you seen things change, improve, uh, adapt, or have things been pretty consistent? Well, I think that we've definitely changed along with the national trend of moving towards more education and conservation, mm-hmm. for sure, especially in the last five years. I've seen that shift. Uh, but uh, we we have a great amount of support from our citizens and from the city, and, and we're lucky in that regard. And I think that that support is growing. Uh, I feel that support growing, and, and we're fortunate in that regard, too. And uh, I think we're going to see some really big things happen here in the next couple of years with uh, support from private individuals monetarily uh, and from the public. Uh, at least that's my hope. I'm, I'm getting that sense just uh, just from a lot of the feedback that I'm getting. Uh, zoos and aquariums are, are, are fortunate because we still enjoy a very high favorability among the public. And across the country, uh, zoos are, are getting money from designated taxes or getting money from family foundations. They're getting large donations from um, individuals and enjoy a lot of public support in that regard because they're they're loved and they're they're considered really important parts of their community. Uh, you know, not just for the conservation education piece, but because they're places where families come to spend time. Um, they're places uh, where we come to have a, a nice day of recreation. Uh, so they serve lots of different purposes other than just the conservation education piece, which is very critical. Uh, but uh, they're also community places. Uh, and they're places where anyone can come. And that's, uh, that's important. It's, it's important that we have that in our community. If uh, let's say I'm a 10 year old for argument's sake in current times and unlike little Susan, I I know from the outset that I want to be involved. I want to be, a, you know, a zoologist. I want to be a, a zookeeper. I want to because you you hear that a lot among oh, yeah. you know kids and what their dreams are when they grow up. That's one that's been pretty consistent over the decades. How, what would you recommend to those children or their parents as far as? getting started down that road or 
an experience that would help cement whether or not that's something they really have the, the passion and the drive to do. We have some awesome summer classes called Zufari, which uh, do just that. Uh, they explore different things uh, about what it's like to be a zookeeper, what it's like to be a vet, what it's like to work at the zoo, what it's like to work with animals, and those are directly related to children that are that age, uh, and children anywhere from the age of 4 to 12. Uh, so there's lots of opportunities there. And, and even throughout the year, we have programs for children that are that age. So if you go to our website, littlerockzoo.com, you can learn all about that. Uh, we have a really interesting program coming up uh, in April called Frog Watch, which is also a neat program where you can learn about the conservation of frogs in Arkansas and how you can help with that conservation. And so, toads, I would think. And given toads. That it's Arkansas, yes. And especially in Faulkner County. If yes, absolutely. So there's lots of interesting ways uh, to get involved and to learn more about animals no matter what age you are. I did not know about those classes. This was not a that total lob softball question. That's, <laughs> that's good to know. That's yeah. good to know. Well, as we wind down, uh, you know, what else do you want people on a you know on a very human level to know about about the zoo and about the animals that we all share there? Well, there are lots of ways to learn more and to get involved. If you do go to our website. Uh, you can learn more about the zoo and how to get involved and uh, how to attend some of our classes, uh, LittleRockZoo.com or our Facebook page. We also have more information. Uh, learning is uh, is the best thing to do to to find out more information about us, and uh, that's uh, that's something we really encourage is to check out that website so you can find out more about us, uh, and also just come to the zoo. We just want people to come check us out and, and walk around and, and visit. There's there's a lot of people that haven't been to the zoo in a while. And uh, we've made a lot of changes, and, and there's more to come. Uh, we really want people to come out and visit. We would love it if every single Arkansan would come at least once a year. If that happened, uh, then the zoo would be in such a great place, and I think that Arkansans would really benefit from it, too, to bring their families out to the zoo. And, of course, I would be remiss and potentially fired if I did not say there are lots of good resources in your local library Absolutely. to learn about all these animals before you go and see them at the Little you Rock bet. Zoo. So, and about conservation, And too. about conservation. So littlerockzoo.com, uh, cals.org for the Central Arkansas Library System, both for this and other podcasts, as well as all kinds of learning resources, be it about animals or anything else. And you know, the Internet's everywhere now. Take advantage of it and you'll get a better experience. Uh, if you go see an animal, you've already you know learned some things about it. You can it. also check out the Children's Library, which is just south of us before you head to the zoo. So yeah. Two yeah. things in one day, even. They're so. very, yeah, they're very close yeah. to each other. That's a good twofer. That's a Great good twofer. partnership there. Well, there you go. Mm -hmm. It all ties together, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for listening to this episode of Primary Sources. We will uh, see you the next time around. Susan, thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. And uh, thanks, as always, to Glenn for making all this come together. And I'm Matt DeCampel. We will talk to you next time. Primary Sources is a production of the Central Arkansas Library System and its Arkansas History Department, the Butler Center for Arkansas Studies. For more information, visit cows.org and butlercenter.org. Our producer is Glenn Whaley, and our production manager is Brett Ratliff. Our executive producers are Leanne Blackwell-Hoskin and David Strickland. Thanks for listening.